Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Hello once again, everybody. Tom and Keith with you. It is the middle of Miami week as we say good evening. And I'll start there, KJ. Does it feel like Miami week? I, I want to know why my chair is shorter than yours. Well, I came in early and manipulated things so I could feel you're a little trying more to superior in my me. seat over here. Yes, that's, that's exactly. what you're doing. It is Miami week, but yeah, I will agree. It doesn't necessarily feel like a normal getting, Miami week. Is that because we're getting old? Is that because the stakes aren't as high? Is <clears throat> It's probably a combination of things, but I'll go with the former as being the majority answer. How about that? Sounds good. What's uh, your recollection? We'll go way back, Machine. Your rivalry with my I know one game that'll stick out, but... Well, the 80 game always sticks out because that was my senior year. We lost by one on a, a two-point conversion attempt. Jim Burt jumps up uh, about three feet, excuse me, three inches off of the turf and knocks down a Rick Stockstill pass. But I'll tell you, the most interesting thing about the Miami series as it relates to Florida State and today, uh, and I'm segueing using Coach Bowden as part of today. So Coach Bowden to Coach Fisher. 1976, Coach's first year here. They go to Miami. They get beat 47 to nothing, 41 to nothing, 40-something to nothing. The next week, Florida State plays at Oklahoma. And I think Oklahoma was either the defending national champion or just two years removed from a national championship. Coach Bowden sits eight seniors and starts eight freshmen on both sides of the ball. And you talk to the guys from that area, and that's when they went, ooh, and well, he's, he's serious. And that's an, that's, an era, <laughs> that's an era when freshmen didn't play at that level. I mean, Correct. And junior, freshmen junior. had only been eligible for three or four years from there. Yep. But the point is, the team went, ooh, right. he's serious. They got the message. Yep. Were you – I don't remember the time frame on it. Whenever – Bobby and Howard got into the boxing ring with the gloves. Was that circa that era? Was that into the early 80s? That was 80s? right after I had left, yeah. uh, and, and, but it was in the early 80s, and, and that just kind of began the national hype relative to the contest. It had always been important in Florida and maybe arguably in the southeast, uh, but but uh, Schnellenberger, and of course, with Miami winning national championships and playing Florida State every year, it elevated it to a national prominence. And then, without beating the dead horse, you get into the to the late '80s and the early '90s and the wide rights. And Coach Bowden saying that what would appear on his tombstone is Robert Klecker Bowden. At least, at least he played Miami. Yeah, and at least Florida State finally turned the corner on that with the the '93 game. One of my favorite memories of FSU-Miami, I happened to be in school at the time, which is probably why it resonates, but it was the 89 game here, which was a night game, and Miami ended up winning the title that year. But not that night. That was a memorable night where Florida State won 24-10. But I, you know, for most FSU fans, they, they remember the heartbreak of the wide rights, or in your case, the, the two-point try that was knocked down. Even the failed two-point try in 1987, uh, then maybe they do the victories. But there's been some pretty nice ones over the year. But it hasn't had that same luster to it of late. And you know, obviously Florida State has been back up and uh, you know nationally prominent, and Miami has not been. And uh, we're going to talk more about this as this show goes on. It's interesting to me that Miami really has. I mean, we're looking at a decade now where they've or, or longer since they've been in the ACC and a couple of years on top of that where they've been middle of the pack. And that's well, what they are. And, and Jeff Cameron and, and our 
producer Tom Lang will talk about the lost decade. I don't use that term in Florida State's vernacular, but that's the expression they use uh, about the, the 2000s. Uh, for Florida State, but you could argue there's a lost decade in there for Miami as well over an 8 or 10 or 11-year period uh, where they have not been in a national spotlight. But I'll tell you one thing's interesting about this week, and I don't know if you picked up on this, but you know, with Miami losing against Cincinnati, I think that, in and in, in obviously it did uh, sway uh, game day to go to Utah. But, but where is the FSU-Miami game as it relates to television and what crew is doing it? It's still the 8 o'clock ABC number one crew. That tells you that at least residually, uh, from a television standpoint and a watch standpoint, this rivalry still has a whole lot of legs. Well, if you think a couple years ago when LSU and Alabama were ruling the SEC West and they played twice in the same year and they were kind of the marquee game, not that it won't be a big game this year, but you know they had about a three-year run where that was the game. Well, FSU-Miami had about an eight- or nine-year run you know, from eighty seven to ninety four and ninety five, and then it and then it resurfaced again after Miami got through with some of its its NCAA issues uh, from say ninety nine to o two in that vein when Miami got really good again. So I mean, it it's a pretty good measuring stick if you're in, in terms of longevity too, which is and the bottom line in terms of an eight o'clock kick, it draws ratings. And we're biased because we're in the state, and obviously the kids that are at Miami and Florida and Florida State. The bulk of them played against and or with each other. And with all the recruiting news that goes out and the camps that are being done, they're very familiar with each other. From So from a player standpoint, and then players that are 5 or 10 or 15 years removed, not 35 years removed like me, you know, there's still a great deal of familiarity uh, within that group that also spurs a lot of conversation and comment, uh, guys that have radio shows, appear on TV, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of legs to this rivalry that go in different directions. I kind of feel like Miami's issues right now are similar, or they're in a similar place a little bit to where Florida State was during the, the lost decade, if you will, in that the players feel like they're doing the right things, they're saying the right things, they're doing what the coaches tell them to do, but they're not getting the results. Uh, and so it's... You know, it's lack of talent for one probably compared to the level they were at, but it's also a lack of confidence or belief. Whereas when Miami was going good, just like FSU, it didn't matter what the score was, they truly believed or knew they were going to come out on top. This team sort of says that, but then when the chips are down, it, it doesn't turn out that way. It's that two little, uh, two letter word that if we could patent or bottle, uh, you and I would be uh, very, very wealthy. We wouldn't be here on Wednesday night? Maybe not. Uh, <laughs> but it's called the it. You know, the it factor. Right. And, and and you're exactly right. Florida State over the last three or four years has had that it factor. Miami has been without the it factor, and that's the reason that the Canes have lost five or six in a row to Florida State, whatever that number is, and why Florida State, even last year, when Florida State got down double digits there in the second quarter, you know, there was never any panic, it appeared, on the Often on the Florida State side, and they came back and, and, and you know won a thrilling victory, as it were, uh, and came out of uh, 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 I still call it Joe Robbie. I know it's what Sun Life Stadium now. Came away with the victory. It's been about eight things since it was originally Joe Robbie. I worked there. A little bit of trivia: its very first year that it opened back in the day. Well, I, that was a I made like three dollars and sixty five cents. And what year was that? An hour as an usher. That was nineteen eighty seven. 
but I got to see the Dolphins play. It was a, it was the uh, one of the strike years too. So I also got to watch the scab or the replacement players uh, for a couple of home games too. Well, then I, I was actually there about six months before you were because I attended the 86 Blockbuster Bowl, Florida State, Penn State. No, that wasn't 86. We're going to pull out the media. See, this is where you're getting old. That was... It was 1990, everybody. Not the block, not, not the inaugural Blockbuster Bowl. Paul, we'll do the math when we go to break. Keith. I may be wrong. If I am, guess what, listeners? <laughs> what are I'll we, admit what, it. Are we putting but a, then I'll forget. <laughs> are we putting a steak dinner on this one? What are we? Putting? No, we are not putting a steak okay. dinner. I've seen you eat. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, so has my waistline. All right, we'll step aside. We'll come back and talk more about this. We'll also uh, we'll go to the power of uh, Google search or Wikipedia to get an answer to that question during the break. This is the front row. Are there new spots? You know, well, we're trying. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Quick point of clarification as we welcome you back to the front row. The inaugural Blockbuster Bowl, December 28th, 1990. Just got to rub it in. Don't is when FSU beat Penn State. Uh, before the break, uh, Keith opined that he remembered the 86 Blockbuster Bowl. So which just points years, to. I was four years ahead of my time. I know, I know. You only work in statistics and, and figures and numbers all day, so just being four years off, no big deal. Thank you, Tom. All right. We're going to turn our attention back to Miami and Florida State football. We are pleased to... Uh, Bring to the show a guy that uh, each of us have known for a, for a number of years. He is the uh, longtime voice of the Miami Hurricanes at this point, Joe Zagaki. Joe, how you doing? I'm doing good, Tom. Jonesy, how are you guys? We're doing great. We're doing great. Hey, thanks so much for a few minutes of your time, especially during this week. We were, uh, you know, we went down memory lane there and talked about the Blockbuster Bowl, but uh, this is what, your 26th or 27th year? I mean, it was about the time the Blockbuster Bowl came to be that you were getting involved with Miami. Is that right? Well, it's my uh, my 27th year on the broadcast, but uh, I picked a good year to start. I started in 83, and then um, I took a couple years off between 93 and 99. I had a different occupation, well, a different job in town, but... And then rejoined in '99, but I do remember the uh, remember the Blockbuster Bowl uh, very, very well. Can you confirm it was 1990 when FSU and Penn State played? I think it was. Now, yeah. thanks for piling on there. Yeah. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about the game at hand this week. Keith and I were talking in the first segment, Joe. It, in some respects, it, and we we attribute it maybe more to age or familiarity with this rivalry. It doesn't necessarily feel like an FSU Miami week to us. Does it feel that way to you and to the Canes? Well, I think some of that is because Miami lost last week to Cincinnati and because Miami hasn't been relevant on the national stage for a decade. Florida State has. And I also think uh, probably the opening line came out and Florida State was, what, almost a double-digit favorite. So I think a lot of people looked at that and said, well, the Knowles have beaten them five times in a row and, you know, uh, Miami's not hasn't been relevant. So not much of a rivalry game. Uh, that might be the uh, perception. That being said, I think it's a big game for both teams. I think it's always a big game. And, and I agree with you, Joe. I mean, going all the way back to the time that I played in the 70s, you know, uh, Miami week is Miami week. As we as we fast forward a little bit into actual X and O's, I think the one thing that, that our listeners and Florida State fans in general are, are most fearful of is, is the guy that's taking snaps at Miami and Kaya. 
and, and his ability to move the ball, throw the ball down the field. I know that the the running game has been a little bit good and then sometimes bad, but but the threat of the vertical pass for this young kid uh, with his receiver court, his big receivers, uh, I think keeps Miami in any ball game at any time. Well, I don't disagree with you, and uh, I don't know if uh, if Kaya is is as good as Everett Golson yet. You know, Everett. Uh, a fifth-year senior and has played in a national championship game, but it's probably the closest Miami has been at the quarterback competition in this series in a long time, and a real long time. And he's got a very good feel for the offense. They tinkered with the offense this year. He's out of the pistol formation more, out of the shotgun more. That being said, he's got a good, accurate arm, completing 61% of his passes and spreads it around. I don't think he played particularly well against Cincinnati. I don't think he saw the field great. His numbers were okay, 24-39, 255 yards, but I thought he missed some really big throws in that game. Some guys were open. And I think it will also help him with Coley and Berrios hopefully getting back in there. He's had some new guys to work in. Uh, Chris Herndon, Tyree Brady, David Njoku. Those are really first-year guys playing in Lawrence Cager. Uh, he's had uh, Rashawn Scott and Herb Waters as veterans, but he's had to play with some of these younger guys, and perhaps Coley and Berrios will give them a lift, especially on third down. Any any explanation as to why Kaya has been so much better at home than he has been on the road, and, and obviously this game to Florida State's advantage being played in Tallahassee? Yeah, I think uh, probably the level of competition. Uh, last year he started on the road against Louisville. That was a pretty good Louisville squad. Nebraska is a pretty good squad. And then uh, I think any time Miami goes on the road, uh, even though they haven't been great the last couple of years, it's still a uh, signature game for a lot of teams, especially in the ACC. Hell, the other night against Cincinnati, they stormed the field when they won the game. So I still think it's uh, an impactful game when Miami's on the road and uh, always a little more difficult. But he's done a good job, I think, overall. I think it's four interceptions in his last, what, uh, 200 passes, something like that. So uh, his numbers are very, very strong, and I feel good with him behind the center for Miami. We are talking to Joe Zagacki, the uh, longtime voice of the Miami Hurricanes. Joe, continuing the conversation about Kaya, I have a uh, a buddy who's a, a big Miami Hurricane fan, and he had, he had told me this summer he thought Kaya was you know the best quarterback or the best physically that they've had in some time. This sort of goes to your point about which school has the upper hand at quarterback. You know, if you look back, it, you would say Brad Kai is the best Miami quarterback since when? I'm putting <laughs> well, you on the spot on that. Yeah, it's probably going to go back to uh, Dorsey. And uh, just because of the completeness of his game, his ability um, to throw out of the shotgun, his ability to take the snaps under center, and then he does all the other things quarterbacks, uh, some are good at and some aren't, which is the play-action game. I think he's really good with the play-action game, and he's only a sophomore, so he still has a lot of growth and development in his game, but I think he's very accurate. He's six foot four, so he's got the right size, 209 pounds. Uh, he probably is the best they've had since, um, since Dorsey in terms of a complete game and a complete understanding of the offense. Now, Stephen Morris and Ja'Cory Harris I thought were good players, but I also thought they were... Uh, I thought their games were crippled a little bit because they had to play so early. Uh, both guys were freshmen, as was Brad, and and there was a lot of um, uh, um, turbulence with the other two quarterbacks, and Brad's had 
a little more um, consistency with James Coley as his offensive coordinator. Obviously, Florida State fans know James Coley well from his time with Jimbo. Let, let's flip to the other side. Uh, tell us a little bit about Miami's defense. You know, I think they're a little bit better on defense than what they have been, but it's still their Achilles heel, and their front seven is nowhere near what Miami defenses were accustomed to having. And if I look at Florida State, and I say, well, what's one thing that Florida State stands for? Uh, i, I got to say it's their defensive line. It has been for the last couple of years, and I don't know if Walker and Lawrence Stample and Naughty and uh, Newberry are as good as what they had with Edwards and Goldberg, but they look the same to me. And Miami just has not had that caliber of play in the front seven. Uh, I think they're pretty good in the back end uh, with Deion Bush and uh, Artie Burns and Corn Elder and Jamal Carter. Uh, they have played in spurts this year, kind of like basketball. The other night against Cincinnati, they gave up 27 points in the first half, and then they gave up five yards in the third quarter. So for them to be great on defense or to be more competitive on defense, they have to be a lot more consistent. Joe, you guys travel up here. Uh, we'll be kicking off a little after 8 o'clock on ABC. Uh, first 15, 20 minutes into the ball game, uh, you know, what, first couple of three series, what, what do Florida State fans need to be fearful of if you see in your squad? Well, in other words, if Miami comes out and does X, that's going to tell you they're going to have a good ball game. Uh, get turnovers, number one, because they're really good at that so far. They forced 11. So if they can get Golson, bait him into an interception early in the game, that would be good. Number two, pressure on Golson. Number three, uh, a quick start by the Miami offense where they're not getting penalized. Uh, they look like they did against Nebraska in the first three quarters. That is a dangerous Miami team. Uh, Miami can't start a pep rally in the first couple of minutes for Florida State. But if they do get off to a start like they did against Nebraska, that would be very healthy for Miami. And then the last thing would be uh, the combination of uh, Yearby and Mark Walton getting positive yards. It's amazing how good that backfield must have been in high school with Yearby and Cook in it. <laughs> unfair. <laughs> unfair. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly unfair to, to put all those guys in there. Let, let, let's go macro picture for a little bit, Joe, stepping, stepping back from just Miami and FSU. Uh, obviously, you know, and Florida State went through this for several years before they they rose back to national prominence, and Miami's been in that period now for several years, which uh, I, I, having experienced it here, I know it's not a lot of fun from where you sit uh, in, in Coral Gables, but I, I know this is the million-dollar question, and if you knew the answer, you'd, you'd head down to the AD's office or Al's office, but, but what will it take to get Miami back to national – Back to the national stage. Uh, time, really. I just don't, you know, I think people discount the investigation. And uh, I once went recruiting with Leonard Hamilton. Not that I was a recruiter. I went to a game with him way back in 1990. And I, we were going to go see a kid in Philadelphia. And uh, a lot of coaches were there to see this particular player. And assistant coaches were there from Maryland. And uh, one of them turned to Leonard and said, you know, we're on probation. And when you're on probation, it's like you have leprosy. And, and that's what it was for Miami for three years. And they've been chasing Florida State for five years. So I would just say, well, look at where Florida State is. Look where Miami is and compare the rosters. Miami has some really good players, but not as many as Florida State. And when they can get their roster level with Florida State, then I think they'll be well on their way back. Uh, it's good in certain areas, but it's not as complete or deep as Florida State. And Florida State can roll guys in. You know, they take a couple of defensive linemen out, and 
Uh, if not, he comes out of the game. Demarcus Christmas and Derek Mitchell can go in. And if Walker isn't in or Pugh can go in, they just got answers after the first line, and Miami does not. So, um, And then they need to win a game like this one against Florida State. I think thought Jimbo said very well the other day, when they beat Miami in 2010, that gave them hope. And if you have hope, you have a lot. And uh, by losing the Florida State last year, uh, late in the game, that was a, a major setback for the Miami program. And, and, Joe, is there any doubt? I know what my opinion is because you and I have talked over the years, but is there any doubt in your mind that Golden and his staff can make that happen? Well, I think he's going slowly in the right direction, but there are a lot of obstacles, Keith. And, uh, you know, when you have those obstacles, it makes it uh, very, very tough. So I would hate to see Miami go through another restart uh, because uh, this has been a very hard, tough battle in a lot of ways. And I don't think they're that far away, uh, but they've got to win some of these games uh, like Florida State or Virginia Tech or Clemson. They've got to win these games that are close. They showed glimpses of what they could be against Nebraska a couple of weeks ago. Now, Nebraska people say they're 2-3, and three, but Miami looked very sharp in that game. And uh, I think there are a lot of things that you can pair Florida State with uh, Nebraska with, uh, in terms of Florida State as well, Nebraska, a very good defensive line, good set of receivers, very good quarterback. Miami played outstanding, pristine, pristine football for three quarters, but almost let it slip away. Well, and Florida State tried hard to let a game slip away last week in Winston-Salem, so they can relate a little bit with the youth on the team. I don't want to press too hard on this, Joe, but you mentioned the abs- the obstacles and, and, and what Al's dealing with. Is he going to get enough time? I mean, he's, is he going to get a shot, or is, is it you know time where he's got to get one of these wins to survive? You know, I don't know, Tom. I'm not sure what, the, uh, uh, what direction the administration is going to go in or how they're going to judge it. Uh, you know, he has bosses, too, and I'm sure that the administration – has an idea of what they want University of Miami football to look like. And so I think he's trying to uh, shape a football program to give one that the uh, administration would be proud of and also win at the same time. So uh, not 100% sure how they're going to judge it at the end of the year, but uh, I think at the end of the year that's when they'll make some decisions. Uh, we're chatting with Joe Zagaki, the the voice of the Hurricanes, and and you like uh, me, Joe, do a little bit of double duty uh, basketball uh, right around the corner. Uh, this FSU Miami basketball series is getting interesting of late. <laughs> is uh, is Rayton Mays? Is he? Uh, uh, can we have him sit out the Miami game or anything? Not yeah. at all. We've been oh, talking for ten minutes, Joe. So he just scored like sixty points or something. Oh my like goodness! That. I, I try to tell people when they got upset that Miami blew their. Uh, 23-point lead to Nebraska. I said, that's nothing. I saw Rathan May score 30 in four minutes. <laughs> I said, you people were upset over a 23-point lead in football. How about watching a 25-point lead in basketball disappear in four minutes? Well, that was, that was uncan- you know, one of those unbelievable moments and sort of must-see, which is, is what Miami and FSU have been. I, I'm curious. We'll, we'll let you go on this, Joe, but uh, I made the point to Keith that Alabama-LSU a couple years ago, they had about a three-year run where that was the game. I mean, FSU and Miami had it for, for what, a, a decade, 15 a decade years? more, yeah. Yeah. College football is a lot different. The rules are different. Uh, everything is different about the game. The way it's played is a lot different than, it, than, it, than the way it was played uh, years ago. And all these spread offenses, have, I used to call it goonie ball. Now it's everywhere. So it's level the playing field. I know Jimbo talked about it the other day, 
I do think they need to adjust some of the rules because uh, it's almost unfair to a defense. But I think that has really leveled the playing field. And, and you know, the state of Florida with more schools playing is also uh, taking a big bite out of some of the talent. And then the last thing is guys leaving early. When Miami and Florida State were great, uh, Jones, you know, all those guys were fourth and fifth year players. You're right, Joe. And now right. they're all first, second, and third year players. Yeah, that no question. That's watered it down. They're immensely talented, and people want to see those results right away. But they got to know which direction they're supposed to be going before they can get those <laughs> yeah. results. I remember my favorite expression, Joe: "All speed will do is get you farther away from where you're supposed to be if you go in the wrong direction to start with." <laughs> well, uh, we're trying to we're just trying to gain some traction down here. <laughs> hey, Joe, appreciate uh, some of your time. We'll see you this weekend at Safe uh, Do- Travels, Do- Campbell Stadium. Saturday. Thanks for joining us. Sorry, guys. Anytime. Look forward to it. All righty. That is Joe Zagacki, the longtime 14th year as the voice of the Canes, as you heard him say. It's 27th year involved with Hurricane Athletics overall. Interesting perspective. That's sort of the South Florida perspective on things. We'll react to that. We haven't touched much on uh, FSU's issues or challenges at Wake Forest, and uh, we'll get into more of the specifics of the game uh, when we come back. He's Keith. I'm Tom. This is the front row. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. This portion of the program is brought to you by Madison Social. And uh, as I made my way down here to the All Saints District in the studio, I noticed there was already a line about 100 deep getting ready for brunch on Saturday before the Miami game. Not really, but uh, if, you don't, if you don't have a ticket to the game, and even if you do, uh, rest assured you'll want to stop much, by Madison Social before, will, during, after. How much fun will Madison Social be from like about 11 in the morning to about 6.30 in the afternoon? Just camp there and then walk over to the game. I'm going to go with a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, of course, happy hour specials, great brunch. Uh, Wednesday night is tonight. Uh, Make your way to Madison Social. We appreciate uh, them being on board as a sponsor and what Matt Thompson does and the others uh, for us here at the front row. All right, Joe Zagacki, kind enough to join us. Uh, Interesting perspective from from South Florida. And, you know, this gets talked about a lot, but things sort of go in cycles. I mean, you have to go back to the 90s, really, I guess, to, to when all three programs were at the on top or close to it at the same time, like that 90 to 95 period probably or, or so with, with Florida, too. But, you know, then Florida had its run and FSU was down. Now FSU's back up. Miami's down. Florida looks like they're coming back. Um, let, let's, you know, rather than dissect Miami's issues, because we could do a whole show on that maybe and what we think is the, is the cause of it or the issue, because I do think it's deeper than just the NCAA issues. But, how do you like the matchup this week? I'm scared of the matchup, uh, and for the very reason which was my first question of Joe, uh, Kaya can kill you from anywhere on the field with one throw. Uh, now, let, let's be fair. Miami's receiver core, maybe not the speed that, that we're used to seeing from the Miami wideouts, but they're bigger, they're taller. Uh, so the the back shoulder throw, once they get close, particularly in the red zone, the the uh, jump ball, those types of plays come into uh, the pitcher. And, and as I mentioned to Joe and as Joe echoed, Kaya can throw the ball vertically down the field. So 
even if you're defeating them and they go three and out, three and out, and, and then on the third drive it gets third and eight, if you're not careful, he can still bang you for 78 yards and a touchdown. I mean, they can score as quickly as any team in the country. And so you've always got that threat of the big play through the air. That's what concerns me most about this this Miami offense. And it's a legitimate concern. I mean, Florida State has not truly been tested in that vein. They gave up a lot of passing yards, not vertically last week, but uh, underneath stuff. I, I would point out when you look at the stats, I don't have them in front of me. If Miami's going to beat you vertically, it's probably not going to be on third and eight because they're one of the worst teams nationally. Yeah, they're third and down conversions. They're third down conversions. But, but by the because, same token, if they have 12 and they only make three and they score on the three, right. Well, that can be a little disconcerting of a. Of well, a and the reason it's disconcerting is because unlike last year, you don't have confidence that this offense can easily score points in bunches. I mean, because that's what we've seen this far. This is not a team where you're going to say, "Well, that's all right. We gave up a long one. We're going to score 35." Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. Do you feel better about that or worse after seeing the Wake Forest game? I, I certainly don't feel any better, and that that segues into you know what you and I were talking about during the break. You know, uh, Jimbo has said this week that he thought Golson got better. Uh, I'm not sure I share that opinion. Uh, I don't know that Golson got any better. I, I was tracking throws the, the first couple of three series, and everyone was behind someone. I know we completed we, we Florida State completed one long pass, but it was underthrown. There was another long pass that if he'd have gotten air under the ball would have been another touchdown. Um, so I'm not sure I'm ready to say that Everett got any better. He certainly did not get any worse and certainly continued to be very pleased with his ability to get Florida State in and out of plays at the line of scrimmage, the pre-snap stuff. Certainly pleased that he hasn't turned the ball over. Uh, he made a couple of runs in, in the Wake game that were important. Um, but I'm not sure you can look at that Wake contest and say that he got better. Uh, he, he did enough to keep his job. Uh, and by no means am I saying he, I'm ready to bench him and go on with, with Sean or anything like that. It's just that there was a chance for improvement. Now, we need to acknowledge, although it was wet, it wasn't raining. And, and what people don't understand is I don't worry about the wet. What was a bigger issue in the Wake game was the wind. The wind really plays havoc with you. Uh, it's much more of a, of, of a, a detriment to, a, to an offense than, than moisture. Uh, and and you were there. They were playing in the wind, and that wind was pretty substantial. Having said that, he didn't back up, so that's a positive. But he didn't make the steps forward that I hoped he had. Let's let's see if Miami becomes that game. Yeah, well, at some point, if you don't uh, keep stepping forward, you're going to be on the wrong side of the scoreboard at the end of it, which I think is why there's consternation among FSU Nation. I found this interesting, and you can make numbers into anything that you want. But when I looked up the statistics. If you compare Everett Golson and Brad Kaya, Golson has a higher completion percentage. He's thrown for more touchdowns. He's thrown fewer interceptions, and he has a higher QB rating. The only area where he's short is that he doesn't throw for as many yards as Kaya. And the fact I, that and he's I would, short. I would, well, and he's short, yeah. I, but, <laughs> but we've talked so much about Everett, and I have not watched a lot of Kaya. And we're, overly cr- we're obviously right. overly crooked. I would have lost that bet on all four counts probably if you would have put him down. Before I looked at the stat sheet, I would not have thought that he would have come out ahead there. I do think they got better on the offensive line this week. Now maybe it's Wake's front four. You know, we don't know. But I, I, I think Hofeld uh, – and, Cal, I think it was a better group, and that's the group that they've been running out there this week. We'll ask Tim Linnefeld about this next segment. So that was a step forward. And then, of course, the biggest elephant in the room is is the hamstring that belongs to Dalvin Cook. We'll ask Tim for an update on that, but in reality, we all know the He's update not on that is – He's not playing yeah, that, that, that thing is – That ain't happening. All right. Well, 
we won't even do the next segment now that Keith just said that. We'll just <laughs> hang up on Tim. That's we don't need my him. personal opinion. I'm sorry. All right. Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us next segment. We'll ask him that question and many others. We'll make up some others uh, as we continue on the front row. Stay with us. Keep you Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. And I'll remind you, the front row is presented by Hobson Chevrolet Buick and Cairo. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Time now to uh, talk some more Florida State athletics as we're joined by our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. I'll remind you that Jimbo's press conferences stream live on Seminoles.com. Watch them on your phone, your tablet, whatever you choose uh, right after the game. Something tells me, Tim, that this is a week where uh, the traffic may be up just a little bit on Seminoles.com. It is FSU Miami week after all, so people will, one way or the other, people are going to be interested in what Jimbo has to say. Yeah, it really is kind of kind of fun, you know, no matter what the circumstances or, or where either team is in the national rankings, uh, Florida State, Miami, it's always going to generate a buzz, especially among those two fan bases, and, and you really can sort of set your watch to it. So it's uh, it, things just kind of amp up this time of year. You didn't uh, hear what Keith said earlier, but uh, for context, Jimbo said that he thought Everett got a little bit better this past week. Keith said he wasn't so sure. Where do you stand on that in terms of Golson's progress at Wake Forest? I thought it was a step forward. I don't know that it was a leap forward, but I think it was definitely a step forward. And I think it starts, I think it might have been the offensive line's best game of the season, at least from a pass protection standpoint. Yeah, You saw Ryan Hofeld, I thought, did a nice job at center. Derek Kelly seemed to do a nice job at right tackle. And it seemed like uh, Everett had more time to make his reads, make his decisions. There was one one point, I think, in the second half where, where Everett had a, a comically long time to uh, to make his decision and make his throw. And I think they ended up just throwing it away. There was, there was nobody up and down field. But the pass protection was, uh, was fantastic. There's a silver lining there. But, yeah, you saw him. There were two or three really nice long third-down conversions to Travis Rudolph where he stepped up and made a throw downfield. You had the 51-yarder to Bobo Wilson. Uh, across the middle of the field it was a little bit underthrown but just seeing him with the confidence to step up and make a big throw like that I think is improvement over what we saw for the last couple of weeks I guess the the frightening part uh, moving forward to Miami obviously is the status of of Dalvin Cook Uh, I I told uh, Tommy during the break I I was never fast enough to pull a hamstring (laughs) (laughs) but but whether it's pulled or tweaked or torn or otherwise uh, I've just it's just always been my opinion whatever time it's like building a house if you think it's going to take three months to build a house it's going to take four if you think a running back is going to be back this week from a hamstring injury it's always next week what are you hearing it's the same thing yeah I think he's close I don't think that he's in bad shape you can see him he's here around the stadium he's walking around I said to somebody earlier if you didn't know there was something wrong with him you wouldn't know there was anything wrong with him that said, hamstrings maybe more than any other injury are, are just that way. They're they're nagging, they're they're touchy, and and any little thing can set you back or, or hurt it worse. And then if you're Florida State and, and Calvin Cook gets hurt more than he is or aggravates that injury and it has to miss a significant amount of time, then you've got a real problem. So I think it's a, it's going to be an interesting test, an interesting decision for Jimbo Fisher this week. Uh, what exactly he wants to do because 
you know, the truth is, if, if this were the BCS National Championship game, or I guess we don't have a BCS anymore, if this were the College Playoff National Championship game, uh, maybe Dalvin would be able to, to play, no question. But midseason, with, even against Miami, knowing that you have still so many games afterward, I think you have to be as cautious as you can. The fear, though, uh, Tim, and you know this, you've been around the program, is you go out and you run three-quarter speed during practice. But the first time you get in that game and you go full speed and you tweak that thing again, as you alluded to, the second time is always worse than the first. And now you're looking at a three or four week uh, on the shelf. I mean, it, it that's a pretty big decision and a pretty difficult decision. It's a catch-22 for sure. I, I don't know the answer. I, I, I don't envy Jimbo Fisher because there's no doubt that, that Florida State's chances for success uh, on Saturday – Change greatly, or, or I guess I should say, are greatly increased if a fully healthy Dalvin Cook is in the backfield. And, and then you kind of have to look into well, what, what percentage is he better than than what's behind him? And he's a, a superhuman athlete. Obviously, I don't need to tell anybody that, but you have to, I think, play it safe, knowing that you still have some really significant games coming up afterwards. So, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of the the most intriguing subplot of the week. Uh, obviously, and another thing to think about is that. Dalvin Cook is a Miami native, and I'm, every player wants to play every game, but those Miami guys that come to Florida State really seem to relish playing against Miami more than anybody else. So I'm sure he's going to be pushing the play, too. And, and quite frankly, I doubt we're going to know exactly what his status is until Saturday. Yeah, you said you don't envy Jimbo Fisher. I don't envy Jake File and the training staff who has to say, well, this is our recommendation or what we think on that because it's yeah, dicey. I mean, you, if you they look, say no, Jimbo's going to be mad. If they say yes and he tweaks it again, yeah, Jimbo's going to be that, madder. That's what I'm saying. So, And if you look at it, now these were different. These were more structural than muscle-related. But, I mean, like Reggie Northrup and Josh Sweat are both guys that you know came out from a rehab standpoint ahead of what we expected, and they didn't really hold them back. They got out there and played at the beginning of the year. This is a totally different deal with a hamstring. What, what about uh, Terrence Smith? Yeah, it's it's another one. the The details on his injury have have been kind of uh, kind of scarce. All we really know is that he doesn't have a break; that he has a swollen ankle, uh, and that it's I guess it's bruised, uh, sprained, whatever the case may be. So not as as serious as it might be, but maybe nailing down the details of what exactly it is. It just sounds like he's in some pain. So I, I we think maybe fifty fifty on something like that. It could they, come they down didn't add the dreaded on. word, did they? What's that? They didn't add the dreaded word, did they? They didn't With, refer to it as a high ankle no, sprain. No, it was not a, not a high ankle sprain, at least not that we've heard. There, there's, we have not heard anything uh, about a, a high ankle sprain, just that, that he does have a, a swollen ankle, and so I think it's a matter of if he can get that swelling to go down, and then you know, I'm, I'm sure it probably hurts Luka Dickens, so a matter of pain tolerance there, too. So They'd love to have Terrence Smith back out there, especially you saw against Wake Forest. Reggie Northrup and Roderick Hoskins really sort of had to had to do full double duty uh, in that game, and, and, and Terrence Smith being the uh, the sure-handed tackler that he is uh, would be a big big addition. But but right now, again, it's just the way it is with all these injuries. It, you, you just don't know. I think they're they're stuck having to wait and see how he feels on Saturday. Yeah, those two guys, the other linebackers you mentioned, are going to have to be prepared to go a long haul if Smith can't play. What about flipping back to the Cook side? I mean, it appears Vickers, based on last week, would be the guy, as Keith predicted, based on pass pro going into the weight game, that Vickers would get more carries than Patrick. Uh, do you think if, if Cook's not available, is it is it tilted heavily to, to Vickers this week, or does Patrick get more involved having a, a full week to really split reps instead of being third team? I still think it, it tilts heavily to Jonathan Vickers. Uh, no reason to change that after what we saw last week, but I think Jonathan Vick, or excuse me, Jacques Patrick will be more involved. He'll have a role to play. I think last week 
he got on the field and his only action, they, they, he was targeted in the pass game and, and it was an incomplete pass. I do think he'll get some touches and get some carries, but if Dalvin Cook isn't back there, I think they were pretty impressed with what they saw out of Jonathan Vickers. Stats weren't, weren't exactly overwhelming, and he had about 33 yards on 10 carries. You know, what he was able to do with some of those carries, particularly on that touchdown run up the middle where he's shaking off tacklers, and I thought, I thought showed pretty nice vision going to the end zone. I think they like what they have in him. And, and again, uh, the big thing, when, when Jimbo Fisher's been asked about him maybe three or four times since Saturday's game, and, and every single time he brought up that, that he was pleased with what Jonathan Vickers did in blitz pickup, pass protection, things like that. And, and that's almost a, it's a prerequisite. If, if you're going to play running back at Florida State, you have to be able to pass protect. And if you can't, uh, you're going to have a hard time getting off the field. Well, and even though it's a rivalry week, and even though it's Miami, one of the the problems that this particular 2015 Miami defense has had is stopping the run. Uh, so, you know, kids that just have that natural ability and Vickers and the size and Patrick, you know, you, you hate to say this, but if there's a game you're going to pick where you're not going to go up to the line of scrimmage and change the play, you're just going to run what's called in the huddle. This might be a game where you could get away with doing that. Oh, I, I definitely think so. Look, I, I've been high on, on Jonathan Vickers really since the preseason. I think he's a nice player. Uh, I covered him in high school when he was at North Florida Christian and thought he had some really nice potential. So, look, nobody's Dalvin Cook, right? It's, it's not even fair to make that comparison. But it, can the guys that they have for a hold the line? I think so. You uh, tell us what's going on on Seminoles.com. I know you've caught up with Marvin Jones, who's uh, got a pretty significant honor coming his way this week. Yeah, that was uh, that was really fun. I never talked to Marvin before, so I was able to catch up with him uh, and also Bobby Bowden, Mickey Andrews, Wally Burnham, even chat with William Floyd, who played with Marvin. They were in the same freshman class, and uh, it was really fun, kind of talking to him and, and getting some of his old stories from the old uh, the old drills and the old preseason practices. Chatted with Wally Burnham, who christened Marvin Jones Shade Tree. We finally get to the the bottom of that story, get the full account from Wally Burnham, Marvin Jones, and Mickey Andrews. How the Shade Tree nickname came about and uh, and marvin you can just tell when you talk to him is just thrilled uh, to be coming back to florida state he's getting his jersey retired on saturday the number 55 uh, will go up uh, alongside the all the uh, the other great florida state players of the past and really when you look at marvin and, and his accomplishments it, it, it feels long overdue doesn't it when i think he, he might be to me one of the most underrated and underappreciated defensive players really in program history, and, and I wonder and see if you guys have some perspective on this. He left after his junior year in 1992. Now, he stayed and played as a senior and won a national title in 93. you got to think he would be revered. Well, he was a two-time consensus All-American, uh, which means he was he was thought so well of as a sophomore, and then again that last year, his junior well, year. Well, and he won the Lombardi. He too. won the Lombardi, he won the, the Butkus, and here's the, the, the number that jumped out at me. He finished fourth in the Heisman. Yeah, that during that time frame was unheard of. Yeah, yeah, I think you make a good point. Had he stayed in '93, I mean, Derek Brooks obviously gets uh, all the attention. He's got a couple degrees from FSU. Well, Derek might not make the had field a great, if, Marv, if he's still there. Well, yeah, that, that, <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm it's teasing. an interesting point in terms of making the. I don't think it's that he's not revered. I, I think as time goes on, people are starting to appreciate what Marvin was a little bit more and more. You don't need to look at his statistics though to retire his jersey. You just need to pull out the one photo where he absolutely leveled Larry Jones from the University of Miami, and they made it into a poster. And it's as good a form tackle as you'll ever – just put that one in front of the committee and just say, there's, okay, there's we're going to retire the jersey. There's two photos in Florida State lore, in my opinion, that that speak thousands of words You're going to say himself. Lane Fenner? And then the- no, no, no. I was going to go with, with Jones. And the other one is 
in the name just left me. Uh-oh. Uh, we got to get out. Standing over the Florida player. Oh, Stan Shiver. Stan Shiver. Forgive me, Stan. I forgot your name. Stan <laughs> Shiver standing over the Florida player, both in huge rivalry games, both new to putting out posters. Remember when we were in school, the posters were always of ladies, you know, Farrah Fawcett and that type of thing. And then this ability to put out a manly poster that you could still put up on your wall, that started that process. Just for clarification, you were in school a decade before me. Really Shut 12 up. 12 years if we want to get Shut up. Post. By the way, Tim, where were you in 86 for the Florida State Bowl game? The Florida State Bowl game in 86, well, I was alive for it. But I don't know that I could say much more than that. We didn't tell don't, you don't worry. This will make yet. sense when you listen back to the show. <laughs> I was going to point out that Stan Shiver might have played in the Blockbuster Bowl, depending on whether it was in 1990 or 90, or, uh, or 86. Oh, anyway. shut up. All right, your thoughts on uh, this, what, this game. What's going what's to happen what this gonna weekend? See? What's going to happen, Tim? Uh, in the, the football game you're asking about. Yes, yeah, the Miami FSU game, which I think we were talking about before we got sidetracked. Right, right, right. Man, I, I tell you what, I'm really having a hard time getting a read on this game. On the one hand, you, the last time we saw Miami, they really just didn't look very impressive and it kind of took you know maybe some of the shine off of the game. I know a lot of folks thought that college game day would have been here had, had both teams handled their business. But I just, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see how Florida State's defense responds to the first true pro-style offense they've seen this year with a talented quarterback in Brad Kaya. His, his numbers aren't exceptional so far, but compared to what they've seen, he can really sling it. Uh, they have probably the best core receivers that Florida State has seen this year. So to me, as good as the defense has been, I think we, we've, we've talked so much about the defense and, and been concerned about the offense. But to me, it's going to come down to how is Florida State going to slow down Miami's offense. And if they can do that, if they can answer that bell, I think they're going to be in pretty good shape. Uh, and if they struggle, especially early on, then it could get, it could be a, a little close for comfort in the fourth quarter. Well, and my fear, Tim, we've talked in, in the in the segments before you, uh, is simply the big play because Brad can make the big play and those receivers right. can make the big play. So you can throttle them, you know, for several series and then bang, they score from 78 and you throttle them again for two more series and they score from 82. Uh, the the Miami offense is certainly capable of doing that. No doubt. And we've seen, you know, I think USF hit a trick play against FSU earlier this year and, and I think Texas State might have had one too. But, but nobody who was able just to drop back, send some receivers deep, and, and let it fly and actually have that be a reasonable threat. And Florida State hasn't seen that you know, really all season, at least not in the last month. So it's going to be a different type of test for sure. Hey, Tim, we'll let you go on this. Uh, Seminoles.com covers all things Seminoles, and it's hard to fathom, but today is day one of basketball practice. Yeah, no, for, for both yeah, the men's and women's teams. And it's really uh, – there's – We've seen it. There's a lot of excitement around both squads. The Florida State, the women were inches away from the Final Four, which a lot of their key pieces. And then over on the men's side, the, perhaps the, the most heralded recruiting class uh, in school history you have the McDonald's All-American and Dwayne Bacon. Uh, then with Malik Beasley, Terrence Mann, and, and there were some exciting players. And then Chris Kumaje, who at seven foot four, believe it or not, is the tallest player in Florida State history and also the tallest human being that I've ever seen in my life. I rode an elevator with him a couple weeks ago. And it was just, I, I couldn't believe it. I've seen tall players before, but I've never seen anything I, like I did the same thing, Tim. I was waiting for the elevator at, at the athletic uh, center, and he came off of it, and, and, and I was gawking. I've just never seen a human <laughs> being that far up. It's, it's really unbelievable. And it, it doesn't sound like much. Like people listening right now are probably rolling their eyes. Like, oh, he's only listed as one inch taller than Bojanowski or, or Michael Ojo. But, man, it feels a lot different. 
Well, they look up to him. That's all you need to say. <laughs> hey, Tim, thanks for joining us as always. We'll see you this weekend at the game. You got it, guys. Thanks. That's our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Uh, appreciate his insight as always. Remember, you can uh, see Jimbo's press conference after the Miami game. It streams live on Seminoles.com. His Monday press conference. They'll have content up on the start of basketball season. Uh, the soccer team plays tomorrow night. They uh, Don't forget an old TV. Don't forget an old TV, Jonathan Chalacey, you name it, it's all there on Seminoles.com. All right, we've got just a couple of minutes to wrap things up on the other side of this break, and why don't we do that on the other side of this break? We're back with more. No dark sarcasm in the classroom. You're listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at thefrontrow at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. All right, just a uh, couple loose, more minutes. Loose ends. Loose ends. couple loose ends to tie up, yeah. Uh, since we referenced Stan Shiver, for the record, uh, he was at FSU from 84 to 88. So had you been correct, had the Blockbuster Bowl occurred in 1986 he he would have been there for but, but since but, it was but, played in 1990 he was not he was a non-factor but the bowl game i was at in 86 was the all-american bowl so i was at a bowl game i, I was just in tampa i wasn't you know no no you were in birmingham birmingham i wasn't i i'm confused you are all right so uh you're worried about the vertical passing game this week very much so all right having said that you're taking the Knowles. yes I think this is a game where the defense rises to the occasion on that vertical. I think Tim talked about it very well. The the big plays that have been given up are, quote-unquote, of the trick variety. I think because Kaya is a little less mobile, i.e. he's, he's, a, he's a Chris Winkie, uh, Brad Johnson type of guy in, in the pocket that they can get pressure with four, which means they don't have to make themselves vulnerable. And, and I think offensively, uh, if, if if Jimbo continues to uh, press the run and try to establish that run and then move Everett into play action as it relates to the passing game, you know, th- this is a time on national TV where Florida State has an opportunity to prove itself. Remember, they've been winning and backing up in the AP poll. That's voted on by the writers. They're number eight in the coaches poll, number 12 in the AP poll. Well, they need to send a message to some of the media out there that, that Wake – uh, and, and South Florida is not who this team is. And maybe, just maybe, the kids will rise to the occasion to do that. This would be a great opportunity. Yeah, I don't disagree that you'd like to make a statement, but I, I would say if you make that kind of statement, it'll be, from a national point, will probably be dismissed because it'll be, well, Miami's not very good, would be the reaction to that. But having said that, I would Well, then let's don't make the statement. No, no, I, I would definitely err on the, I would say let's make the statement rather than not. I, I like the Knowles in this one, too. Jimbo has... Uh, you know, going back to 2010, even when it was a, really a surprise that they played as well as they did down there to a lot of folks, open some eyes there was it was a signature win that we referenced earlier. He's put together a pretty good plan against Miami. And, and I do think this defense is much better than last year's defense that gave up uh, several big chunk plays to Miami last year. So one thing that's different in, in this coaching staff versus prior regimes is there have been times in the Miami series where the Florida State coaching staff I won't use the word fearful or afraid, but they were so concerned about not messing up that they were not aggressive. That's not going to be the case ever with a Jimbo staff. Yeah, I would agree with that, and we could have done a whole segment on that, but we are out of time, so uh, maybe we'll address that next week if it uh, became a factor. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for joining us on the front row. (laughs) 